And now, live from Poland, the 200% podcast with Football 365 Vegan King and someone else. Open wide for some soccer! Hello pod fans, and welcome to 200% podcast number 310. Yes. You got anything to say about the number 310? I have, because I've been thinking this last few podcasts when you started saying that number again. Yep. These sound like crowds from non-league football matches. Okay. So I'm very pleased to be able to confirm that every single number... From now on, I'm going to tell you the result of a corresponding non-league football match. What, with that attendance? Yep. And have you have you got one for today? I have, and it's a recent oh. one as well. All right, fair enough. On Tuesday the 7th of September. Your birthday. My birthday. No less. Lancaster City 0, Warrington Town 1 in the Northern Premier League Premier Division. Attendance, 310. 310 hardy souls. Definitely hardy souls. You know there used to be like these non-league directories every year? Yeah. I don't think they still make them. Maybe they do, I don't know. These great big thick books. They were like, um, like, they were like Rothmans, only they did the yeah. whole of non-league football. And I used to get that every year. I used to get both of them. Uh, every year because that's okay. uh, you know I've lost them all somewhere on my travails I've lost the lot and in about 1985 or 1986 or something there was a game in like one of the earliest rounds of the FA Vars and it was a team called oh my god it was something RN was it Portsmouth? Oh. It might have been Portsmouth RN or Southampton RN, but oh, what? As in Royal Navy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that and would it, make sense. And that their match uh, had an attendance of zero. Wow. I I'm sure I ended up writing something about it like years ago, like ten, twelve years ago, or something, because that really always fascinated me, and I managed to find out everything that I could. I managed to locate the game. Like wow. the result somewhere. <laughs> uh, and, and and I'm sure I ended up writing something about it, which is probably lost forever. Well, you know. Yeah, but there we go. You could always uh, pitch it for Football 365. I know. I'm sure they would be riveted to find out what happened in an FA Cup match between two Royal Navy teams that no one turned up to. <laughs>
I had a free hit last week, and uh, I used it up on uh, Oldham. Yes. <sighs> Shit's been whacked there for a long time. It's a good enough place to start, isn't it, Oldham? Because the other the other day, uh, one of the recent episodes, there was a listener question that we had. Who uh, who did we think would be the first team who were uh, a former Premier League team to be relegated out? Yeah, of the it's league. Oldham. It's Oldham. And I picked <laughs> I picked Oldham, which sounded yeah reasonable at the time, and now sounds nailed on. Yeah, it's 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 Oldham. Yeah, the 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 owner is the worst sort of owner, which is. <laughs> The sort that has probably got the money but kind of can't really be bothered. And the the actual owner is in the Middle East somewhere, yeah. Dubai, I think. And uh, it's um, like his brother who's running the show. Well, we kn- I know all about that kind of jiggery-pokery from the history of Brighton. Yeah, it's the worst sort of owner because they, they think this guy thinks he can run the team. <laughs> you know, he he was a he was a to be fair, he was an, a, a licensed agent. So yeah. it's not that he's just some geezer. It's not. no, yeah. but I mean he, he knows time, he knows his sport, mm. but he knows a very. Yeah. specific area of it yeah and he and he ain't well and the other thing is that that he ain't sticking his neck on the line no and being the manager <laughs> what he's doing is appointing a succession of managers doomed managers my my favorite facts that i didn't know about this story uh that i found out in researching it was that paul skulls resigned uh, after seven games as the manager of uh, Oldham Athletic. And he resigned uh, because of the constant interference in the team selection by this guy. And this was despite the fact that because this had happened to the previous manager, he'd had it written in as a clause in his contract that they absolutely must not interfere in the team, yes, they're an absolute shambles, and I'm, I, I, the thing is that no one can force them out because there is no regulation. It's ultimately down to them, and if they decide they don't give a fuck anymore, then Oldham are in serious, serious trouble. The only way out of it would be. You know, for the club to be somehow forced into administration. And then, of course, a new buyer could come in and it would be the best offer for the club. There are various other factors at play and that is extremely complicated. The club ain't going to be safe until these guys are out. Well, yeah, and of course, the way that football club ownership works that's no guarantee either is it even if they did manage to get rid of them yeah I mean there there is as you know various clubs have found out over the years um, a possibility of jumping from a frying pan into a fire in football Um, that's what happened obviously at Bury most most notably Their, their circumstances were bad uh, as soon as somebody came in who didn't care about the football club, they it, it was it was a done deal. But 
the company accounts, the way the company accounts have worked, they've been criticised and they only show a modest loss. At the moment, it's difficult to make a case for saying that Oldham Athletic are close to insolvency, even though they've been paying their players late and this, that and the other. Yeah, and in two Ps. Yeah, no, no hot water. No hot water at the, at the training ground. Buckets full of, of two peas. Yeah. And you know, it's um, well, it, it was twenty pound notes, wasn't it? Actually, well, uh, I mean, the, the, the club's CEO was summoned to a restaurant in London, and yeah. in this restaurant, he was given a carrier bag with, I think it was forty eight thousand pounds. In twenty pound notes in it, and that that was to pay the players the late the late wages. Immediately, alarm bells should be ringing there. Mm. Why why are they meeting at a restaurant in London? Yeah, well, it's because the owners don't want to get anywhere near Oldham. Well, because they're not really yeah. interested in owning Oldham Athletic, are they? I mean, yeah. this is the ultimate yeah. point. They're interested in the idea of owning a football club and then becoming successful, but they've got no idea as to how to go about doing it or interest in them until they do it. It's, I mean, I get it, you know, I do understand. The These two, I don't think they have any prior connection with a club. I'm not, I'm not completely sure, but I don't think they do. But I mean, when the owner doesn't care... yeah. Things can unravel extremely. Well, yeah, quickly. it's extremely because tra- it, I mean, you know, I hasten, I hasten to add that I'm not saying that there's any anything nefarious in not being an, an owner who is present or particularly cares. But at the same time, it's not ideal, is it? And I mean, some somewhere along the line, somebody is going to have to actually take responsibility for this because it's going to keep happening and you know football clubs being controlled by rich people who don't live anywhere near the place that the club is based or even in the same country who don't really care one way or the other it's not they're just playthings aren't they football clubs to these people it's 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 interesting because um, I'm just reading that the uh, the the club's owner Abdullah Lems Lemsadram. I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'll be completely honest about that. Um, he doesn't get us learning how to say his name right. No, Lem Lemsagram. No, there's no R. No, there's no there's no R in it. Let's call him Lembitopic. Le- no, uh, Abdullah Lemsagram. Okay. Or Lemsagram. That will do. Yeah. Anyway, he was interviewed by TalkSport on Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, he said, um, I put my money and will try to fix everything. Trust me, I will never let the club go into administration. We are going in the right direction. I will not let this club go into administration. Uh, okay. Uh, it, w- the thing is, why? Are they close to insolvent? Because yeah. if they are, the company's last set of accounts unaudited did not reflect that yeah also he's describing administration as being like the ultimate sanction he doesn't seem to be worried about the fact that they're bottom of the league 
and are going well, to get relegated. I'm, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's talks. You know, he may talk about that somewhere else. I don't know. It was a radio <laughs> interview, and it's just a, a like an article I quickly found about it. I mean, they're bottom of the league. Uh, the team ahead of them have got two games in hand. Yes, already. Yes, they are. They are bottom of the league. Um, they they weren't at the time that I wrote my piece about them, but Sutton won on Saturday, and uh, Oldham lost four nil to Leighton Orient. They did. Yes, they got thrashed. Um, so, including the now standard pitch invasion. Yep. The thing is that one of the things that I kind of left out of the the, the piece that I wrote about Oldham was the financials. It was really kind of on the back burner. The club was being run really badly, but on paper, there was yeah. no particular reason to believe that it was close to insolvency. There were no massive kind of debts going back years and years and years. There were no kind of like big eight or nine, ten figure numbers showing, you know. It was very, uh, very strange that he should have suddenly brought this up. Uh, I was unaware of it. Maybe I'm just showing my own, you know. Maybe he knows something we don't. Well, I mean, the thing is that all the signs have been there of a club that is extremely distressed financially. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, You know, all this stuff about the wages being paid late, winding up orders, all this this sort of thing. And so when I opened the company accounts, which, you know, anybody can do on Company's House... I was expecting them to be an absolute car crash, but they weren't. Uh, But I did find an article that spoke to the football finance guy, um, Kieran Maguire, about, oh, they just, I think the local paper asked him uh, about them. And he said, well, it's only really showing a modest loss, which, you know, there was a reason why I Googled it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he's he he also said that this is a the, the way they've done this is kind of irregular, legal but irregular. It's very strange, you know. I was expecting, you know, massive, huge financial losses and vast amounts of money having to be put in by somebody or creditors, you know, over twelve months starting to spin out of control or something, and there just wasn't really that much on there it was very you know very very mm. unusual Oldham supporters are doing what they can yeah of course the article that I wrote was helped by the fact that in the middle of the afternoon while I was writing it he put out a statement banning them from buying tickets to the next two matches oh, and then of course me. you've got something to hang a hook on well, uh, yeah, and obviously. it's completely fresh news as well. This is, you know, this is I know fully well this is going out of ASAP or, you know, within 24 hours. And suddenly it's like, oh, great. This is, you know, this is a perfect hook, uh, hook to hang it on. Something just to, to put in at the end and say, and that's where we're up to now. And so that's his brilliant solution to preventing the the, the crowd from protesting. Just... Not let the crowd in. Here's the thing, right? One of the (laughs) things that, in fact, probably the biggest single thing that can help to keep Oldham Athletic solvent is a regular 
cash flow from match day revenues. That would certainly be of assistance, yeah. It's, it's a stupid thing to do, whichever football club you are, because you are literally turning money away from your core customer base. Yeah, you know, you're, you're you're essentially shutting out the people who have been following this club since before you yeah. were there and will be there after yeah. you're gone. Yeah, it's like if Marks and Spencer said, we are not going to serve to white women over the age of 60 anymore. Yeah, imagine imagine the day before Christmas then. Well, imagine what a hit that would have on their profits. <laughs> you know? It, and it, and, and it, they are literally cutting off their nose to spite their face. Mm. It, it's such ridiculous, childish behaviour, honestly. Anyway... Um, they said that they weren't selling tickets for the Leighton Orient match. Leighton Orient tweeted that, well, we're selling them. We're selling them, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and, you, and you can pay on the gate. Yeah, because this this is still the fourth division at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, so as it turned out, 400 Oldham supporters were there for that match. 400. Mm. Surely every single one of them knowing that they were going to get an absolute ass whooping from an Orient team that I think has had a fairly decent start to the season. Well, I mean, even if they haven't, you don't really need to be any way decent at all at this present moment to beat Oldham. Yeah, well, that does seem to be the case. It's a ridiculous story, and the reason why it's even more troubling now that has happened is, well, you know, it's it's the guy, it's the guy who's like, you know, I'm crazy enough to do this. Yeah. You know, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. I have to say it's very sad because, well, I mean, one, my own club has been in this exact position before and uh, obviously they got out of it and have, in, have flourished in many regards, currently in the top six of the Premier League. But they're there but for the grace of God, go Brighton and Ove Albion because... 30, nearly 30 years on, and the same shit, different day, isn't it? Yeah. And I like Oldham. Oldham, one of the great clubs. When I was growing up and getting into football, Oldham was one of the clubs who were providing all the excitement and the stories. Yeah, they were in the, yeah, they were in the first division, you know, going, heading towards the first division. That, that, that promotion was kind of, you know, a couple of years in the making, wasn't it? Well, yeah, they were in the League Cup final as a as a second tier team. It was all gravy. Maybe they should never have dug up that artificial pitch. Well, I tell you, I I don't know. I mean, there there must be something about teams from the northwest of England who wear blue and white. Berry, Oldham, yep, yep, Macclesfield, yep. They've sorted themselves out nowadays, but the Blackburn. Well, yeah, Wigan. I mean, the, yeah, I'm one not, of the I'm problems. Not done yet. <laughs> Chester, of course. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like a, it's like a some sort of what, weird yeah. curse, isn't it? One of the problems, of course, that all of these teams have got. Watch out, Everton. And yeah, Tranmere. Yeah, and although Tranmere have had their travails of late. Yeah, they've had but, a go, haven't they? But. You know, it's a very oversubscribed area of the country in terms of football clubs. So, you know, 
But it people... isn't. But it, yeah, well, of course, it, yeah, it isn't because when you're actually there, an Oldham Athletic support would rather chew off their own leg than follow any of the other clubs, precisely because they're also nearby and yeah. obviously therefore are scumbags. But you know, these these towns have supported these football. Was, oh, fucking hell! Right, I don't want to get into this stupid conversation of. Are there too many professional football clubs? Because they're fucking aren't. <laughs> right? We don't need to be having this conversation. These clubs have been going for like 120, 130 years. There is yeah. nothing that suggests that we can't continue to support 90, at least 92. Because there's a, probably a good 20 odd in the National League as well. That There's certainly no reason to suggest that this country can't support 92 professional football clubs because it has done for donkey's years it's an absurd argument the problem is wage inflation poor quality of owner and the fact that there are too many people who treat football as something other than a sport whether that's as a job whether it's as a business opportunity whether it's as a property deal. Yeah. That's what's really needed. That's the fundamental thing that football in this country needs. It needs a head shift. It's like housing. You know, we need to stop looking at houses as investments and start looking at houses as places to live. It's controversial, but it could just work. When we've achieved that as a country then we might be mature enough to deal with the idea that property should be affordable for all. And it's the same with football. It's uh, We have to get our head back round the idea that this is a game, is a sport, and it is ridiculous if a company, which may have even the smallest League 2 club, that may have a staff of, say, 20 or 30, but has a turnover of tens of thousands of pounds a week and no particular requirement to make a profit. And you're saying it can't support full-time players. That's a nonsense, obviously. Of course, the argument as regards, to, you know, the the number of professional clubs and whether or not there are too many professional clubs reared its ugly head again this week with the sad tale of our old friend Peng Naldo, whose debut for Ronchester United hadn't been chosen for television and was therefore embargoed. Yeah, I mean, um, I wrote about that as well. I know, I was reading some of the comments under it. Yeah, I, I didn't. There were, there were some interesting... There were, well, there were some interesting... There were some interesting rejoinders. I mean, typically... A lot, of, a lot of the thrust of the other argument is, well, you know, if these clubs aren't big enough to justify their existence and can't attract enough people, then, you know, they deserve to fail, which is obviously a very uh, 
free free market attitude. Well, it's just a shitty. It's a shitty attitude. It is. It's a shit. It's a. It's a Tory it's a, attitude. It's a, yeah, it's a Tory attitude, and it's an attitude which um, they would soon reverse if their club fell into difficulties. Well, yeah, were the boot on the other foot, and yeah. that is yeah. that is the, the the first rule of being a Tory, though, isn't it? Yeah. No, you know, I don't believe in that. I think the the, the primary issue there being that um, football clubs in non-league football are about much more than just the 11 geezers that turn out on a Saturday afternoon. They're focus points of their community. Many of them run youth teams, kids' teams, and have events going on at their grounds. It's why so many are going over to 3G pitches. Because you yeah. can wring every last dollar out of it. I saw I saw it said last week that oh well you know if people aren't buying the product they should change the product and 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 it's like non-league football clubs might have half a dozen volunteers you know yeah. their social media bloke will be some geezer standing behind the goal. Yep. Watching the match with all the other fans. And he won't be paid, obviously. Yeah. Their press office will be... That bloke. Yeah. <laughs> just the, whichever bloke it is they give the reports to afterwards. You know, they, you can't yeah. underestimate the, 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 how small-scale non-league clubs are. Yeah. And, and, and also... Well, thanks, Brainiac. Do you not think they've already fucking thought of that? Yeah. But, of course, at the end of the day, they are selling the same prod- product, whether people like it or not. Yeah, it's, well, you know, I mean, they, they, they do. They're very inventive. Um, they're extremely hardy. I can only think of one non-league club that went out of business through the pandemic. And given that there are hundreds of them, I think that's fucking remarkable. I think that's incredible. Well, yeah, especially as none of them were able to play at all. Yeah. Let alone play behind closed doors. Yeah. They had their league suspended, things were chucked around all over the place. It was absolute pandemonium. No one knew what was going on half the time. And, um, I mean, you know, you can we can talk about the National League and their distribution of the... the, the the money that came through but I'm, I'm not talking about that level of non-league football I'm talking about at least a couple of divisions down from that where crowds are 310 yeah if you take out 50 people from that crowd of 310 those people will probably spend somewhere in the region of 20 30 quid in that ground yeah and that might not sound like a lot but to a club in the northern premier league that's a fucking lot of money. Say twenty-five quid average spend, including yeah. getting in, drinks, food, program, whatever. Fifty times twenty-five, one thousand two hundred and fifty. There you go. And that's every home game. And of course, it's not just every home game. In terms of the league, you've also got these interminable cup matches, you know, FA Cup qualifiers, FA Trophy qualifiers, or FA Vars qualifiers, or what have you. Endless. So, well, let's be generous and say 25 games a season. It's costing that club more than £30,000. Yeah. And you've got to trust me when I tell you 
But £30,000 is a lot of money to a th- mid to yeah. low ranking non-league football I club. think most people would argue that £30,000 is, is a lot of money. Obviously, well, maybe a Man United supporter. Man United, probably, maybe. A, a, a Man United supporter who's never been to a fucking game in their life, who only sees football as a bunch of fucking spreadsheets and who took the easy option of supporting one of the most famous football clubs on the planet in the first place, like they were playing FIFA and couldn't cope with a level above amateur, might well think that £30,000 is not a very big amount of money because all they're used to hearing is... Hundreds of thousands a week. Multi-million yeah. numbers. But, I mean, these people, obviously, they do follow their clubs home in a way. They just do it all from their living room. Yeah. I've got no sympathy, you know. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are on this entire goddamn planet. There is a game going on just up the road from you. Yeah. Go and see it. You know? Everybody abroad can, so they're not the issue. This is homegrown. If you're in Britain on a Saturday afternoon, you are almost certainly within an hour of a football match. Well, of some description. If if that, I mean, it might be several football matches. Oh yeah, no, you know, in some parts of the world, within an hour would be dozens. If you live in the northwest, it's probably half a dozen. Yeah. League matches, yeah. let alone and, anything else, and there will be those who will be saying, "Well, okay, fair enough. If it's only if you, if you work it out at thirty thousand pounds a season, we'll just play thirty thousand seasons to all the clubs." Well, let's say for the sake of argument <laughs> that there's sev- there's nine hundred clubs. They ain't going to pay out twenty eight million pounds a season to remove the three pm blackout, no, because of course they're not. So. Either way round, it doesn't work. If people who just want to treat football as a business... Do you know what? I'm prepared to tolerate you doing that. As long as you leave the clubs that I love the fuck alone. And breaking the 3pm blackout is an act of violence against those clubs. You know? There's no other way of describing it. I can't tell... And this is the thing is that nobody can tell you exactly how many people it would be who would stop going. But I fucking guarantee you that it will be more than zero. And non-league football can't afford to lose a penny. Yeah. Yeah? Um, and how do I know this so certainly? Because I can tell you with absolute certainty that there have been Saturdays when I would have been one of them. There have been plenty of Saturdays when I've gone to the football. But had there been a Premier League match on TV at three o'clock, I probably would have thought, do you know what? I'm going to sack it off and just stay here this afternoon. Yeah. And I go to a lot of non-league football. (laughs) It's true. You know, I, 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 I tried to count it up once and I know that I'm not, you know, I'm not a ground hopper or anything, but I think I'd been to more than 200 grounds. I am prepared to say that there are times in the past when I would have sacked it off just to sit in front of the TV on a Saturday afternoon and watch a live Premier League match. I came up with a brilliant solution, which is that they could get rid of the, the 3pm blackout, but you were only allowed to show those matches in the clubhouse 
of non-league football grounds. Um, yeah. So um, you would have to pay to get in to a non-league football. And if you don't want to watch the non-league football match, then that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. You can fuck off afterwards. Yeah. But if you want to watch a match, if you wanted to watch Peng Naldo, yeah. the, the, the great Soprendo, if, if, that, if that's what floats your boat and you want to go and you know see him do his thing, or at least one of the things that he does, then you know you can toddle along to your local non-league football ground. They'd actually probably do better out of it than they'd ever done before. But the thing is that they're not being made to wait like you know a it's, month yes. or a it's year. Not mad. Then it's <laughs> you know this isn't. It's not like it's not being shown at all. <laughs> it will be on by the evening. Yeah, I had absolutely no interest in seeing. Ronaldo's debut and well, I saw it within hours because it yeah. was on the match of the day I haven't seen it oh, well, it's, I fast forwarded through the match when I watched match of the day if the hysteria is going to be like this for the rest of the season then I'm just going to skip the matches the way that some I mean you uh, I mean you know we're gonna, we have to we have to touch on the Ollie Holt tweet do we <laughs> Fucking hell! I mean, uh, it was. I mean, <laughs> we've One of the worst things that had ever happened on the 11th of September, I think, that tweet. Yeah. And, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo had already managed to bump the minute silence to the second match on Match of the Day, which I thought was impressive. It's fucking pathetic, isn't it? I mean, they're all falling over themselves like he's the second coming of fucking Jesus. Yeah, well, it's pathetic. Jesus, didn't Jesus, do some of those take things. Take a look at yourselves. I mean, let's set aside the allegations. I don't want to talk about those this evening. Fuck that. But even remove all of that. Look at the state of you. He's just a bloody footballer. Christ Almighty. Yeah, well. That's the oh way, my god! It's the way so, it's going. It's so lame. Get grip of yourselves, Christ's sake! Jesus! Dreadful scenes at Kenilworth Road. Absolutely disgraceful. Football was going nowhere in the eighties. You know, let's be honest. You know, there was such bad press. Stadiums were empty, and I think people were scared to go to football matches. They were scared. It was football violence. Football violence. Football violence. There were quite often fights on the forecourt, you know, regularly. And you would, you know, your dad was pulling me and Phil through at the age of five and six. It wasn't an environment for the family to attend. At that time, it was like all these inner city firms going down the tube station for a punch up. In the 1980s, 
Football was a source of shame. The Sunday Times branded it a slum sport watched by slum people in slum stadiums. Anyway, speaking of dicks, there's another exciting week in the history of the Premier League this week because the BBC unveiled their <sighs> documentary series, Fever Pitch. <sighs> oh, a, hist- a history of the to? Premier League. Do we have to? It was very interesting because it was, for a start, it was for the, the first time I've ever seen a hagiography of sinners. But as a programme... You said, and I quote, I can't believe how much bullshit that fever pitch programme was. And I replied, I fucking told you. Well... <laughs> No, Which that I, is true. I stand by that. And you did. <laughs> and I also stand by what I said. Because, simply because, and I think the thing that most disturbed me is at the end of the programme, it was revealed that it was an open university product. So I was sort of sat there watching this thing going, who's this programme for? You know, because yeah. it's not for people like me, because I can remember when the Premier League came in. And how completely unchanging British football actually was at a fundamental level. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that made it tolerable. There weren't really widespread protests at grounds or anything. Because when you actually looked at it, it was like, this is all basically the same. It's all exactly the same, but they've got a, a dance troupe called the Sky Strikers. Yeah, except they're going to have fucking... I, I remember watching a game between Coventry and someone. I think it was a Monday night match in the pub. Ah, Ford Monday night football. Yeah, and the Sky Strikers were on in the pouring rain. <laughs> fireworks going off, even though it was still daylight. And it was interesting to see some of the the, the, the fanfare that accompanied it at the time back because I remember as a 12-year-old, any bits of it that I saw, and I, obviously I didn't have Sky at this point, which meant I wasn't allowed to watch football anymore, which was a bit of a bummer. But any of the bits that I did see, the Sky Strikers, the, that little uh, VT they had with loads of footballers, you know, sort of palling about, whipping each other with towels... John Walker and Andy Ritchie pumping iron. Yeah, greasing each other up. Exactly. um, They were, as I recall, when we first saw it, arse-persingly cringeworthy. And they still are arse-persingly cringeworthy. Because at the Mm. end of the day, British football fans are unchanging. And they're, they're the same now as they ever were. Some of them think that their opinion is worth more than maybe they used to give it credence for in the old days, thanks to social media. But the overwhelming reaction, I think, to all of that was just put a football match on. I don't didn't come here to see Pan's people. I support Coventry City. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was... The the thing about this documentary is that it was essentially it was a two part it was two parts, um, yeah, squashed together. Both of them were completely inadequate, and both of them were weirdly incomplete. The first part, which was about the formation of the Premier League, and uh, it starts with um, 
hooliganism. Obviously, it starts with that shot of the Luton Millwall match from 1985. Yeah. Well, people were scared to go to football. Scared. That's your go-to. I, I remember watching that on the TV. Uh, it, it, that's your go-to image for that sort of thing. Then it barely mentions Bra- the Bradford fire. No, no mention of that. No mention of Hillsborough. No mention of Hillsborough. Um, no mention really. Ever so slight, I think, but not particularly substantial. Uh, mention of the Taylor report, which was uh, the reason no, why no. half the grounds in the Premier League uh, in 1992 looked like fucking building sites. Yeah, there was no mention of Greg Dyke. No. Um, and I need to sort of I, I I I have space constrictions when I'm writing, so I need to kind of explain that in a little bit more detail. Um, Greg Dyke uh, was the uh, head of sports for ITV uh, and London Weekend Television, and he had signed the deal in 1988 um, with the Football League for what turned out to be the last contract under the old way of doing things. Yeah. And it was for four years, and uh, it was £44 million. Um, And that was a big increase on what it had been before, I should point out. Um, And uh, it didn't really have too many restrictions on who they could show. So they basically showed the big five, which at the time was Arsenal, Spurs, United, Everton and Liverpool. Um, so he was a known quantity. Uh, and David Dean had been involved in the 1988 contract. And obviously the big five clubs weren't happy with these as they saw them, shitty, pathetic television deals. Um, They knew there was more money to be made, but they did like the type of contract that was agreed, whereby the the, the broadcaster would almost exclusively show them. So in 1992, um, or sorry, at the the end of the 1990-91 season, rather, um... Greg Dyke approached David Dean and said, Super League time. You should do this. You know, and he, he persuaded, he, he had a meeting with the Big Five, the representatives from each of the Big Five, who then took it back to the Football League, uh, the First Division clubs, on the sly, and they went, yeah, let's do this. I said, this is a fine idea. Yeah, from the start of 1992-93. Yeah. But there still had to be a bidding process for the TV rights. So ITV were bidding against what was effectively a joint bid by Sky and the BBC. It is worth bearing in mind that Sky only paid £191 out of the £304 in that original contract. The remainder was paid by the BBC, who paid quite a lot of money. For highlights. And um, also there was another satellite broadcaster involved, I think. But the bottom line here was that Sky had serious competition. 
They were on their uppers. They've been trading at a loss since they started. The rumour was that if they didn't secure this, Murdoch were probably going to pull the plug on it. And ITV were huge in 1992, financially speaking. They were the commercial powerhouse of British broadcasting. They were a license to print money. Satellite TV had started, but no fucker was watching it. No. Well, there was nothing on. The BBC being in with Sky gave them a much-needed veneer of legitimacy. And Match of the Day had only been showing the FA Cup for the previous four years. Yeah. So there was considerable fanfare of the fact that, you know, oh, the, the... League football's returning to match of the day. And none of that is mentioned. Somebody else who's not mentioned is um, Alan Sugar. Yeah, not even Alan Sugar, who made, I thought, the famous phone call. Alan Sugar was effectively Sky's man on the inside of the Premier League. He gave them the advantage, but nobody knew that really at the time. Because Amstrad, his company, was making the satellite dishes and receiver boxes for Sky. Yeah. Every single person who signed a subscription to Sky had to buy a £200 Amstrad satellite dish. Yeah. So that's every single person who wants to watch live football in Britain has to pay Amstrad £200. Yeah. And, you know... He's a chairman of one of the clubs. <laughs> that You see, that is, for me, that's an important point that should not have been glossed over. And again, this is an open university thing. It, it, you know, this is meant to be educational. Yeah, and like I say, he, um, uh, he famously put in a telephone call to um, Sam Chisholm who was the CEO of Sky, and said, blow them out the water. Blow them out the water. Yeah, blow them out the water. And uh, which is what they did. ITV bid 262 million and Sky bid 304 million, or Sky BBC bid 304 million. But even then, the big five clubs wanted to accept the ITV offer because they'd be on all the time. Of course. And to, you know, of all the clubs in the Premier League, this newfangled Premier League, they were the ones who could most afford to lose £40 Well, it went to a vote. It went to a vote. And uh, it came out 14 to 6, I think it was, uh, in favour of the the Sky vote, uh, the Sky bid. And the Sky bid was A, more money, but B, as a supplementary, they were offering a more egalitarian share of programming. They promised that they wouldn't only show the big five. Hmm. And they did keep to that. They knew that this, rather than movies, was going to be the big driver for pay TV. And this was their big opportunity to get something absolutely golden at what would eventually look like an unbelievably low price. In a world where a team will pay £200 million for a player, 
that three hundred and four yeah. million pounds doesn't look like quite as much. Yeah, as it it's pretty laughable amount at this stage. At the beginning of that season, there'd been huge losses at Sky, and then suddenly the Premier League was delivering a million subscribers in that first season. This was huge. They actually turned a profit at the end of that first season, and it was all done by the football. Manchester United hadn't won the league for several decades by this point. Alex Ferguson has been manager for six years, or indeed zero years, depending on what year you think British football began. Um, by 1992 and despite the masses of painted sheet banners the team still aren't playing well so the rest of the documentary focuses on whether or not they're going to be able to sign Alan Shearer they didn't sign Alan Shearer they were signed by a young upstart called Blackburn Rovers wherever that is and then Dion Dublin came in got injured so they signed Eric Cantona from Leeds whoever they are and this is this is the nature of the program. It doesn't mention that Leeds were the the reigning champions. It mentions Aston Villa once to say that they were the team that Manchester United had to beat in the league. It doesn't mention Norwich City at all. Mm. And Norwich City finished third that yeah. season. They, and Not- they, you you went to a game. You were telling me, and I looked this up. Oh, you it got was on, it was on it. it was on Saturday the thirtieth of January nineteen ninety three. There you go. Everton lost at home 1-0 to Norwich City. Chris Sutton scored the goal for Norwich City. Okay. The same day, goals from Chris Kiwomia and Frank Yallop secured Ipswich Town a 2-1 victory against Manchester United, which meant that Norwich City, on the 30th of January 1993, were top of the Premier League. I remembered it all correctly then. Well, yeah. That's actually, that's surprising. I usually get at least one or two details wrong when I try to do something like that. I was telling him, I was for the benefit of listeners, I was telling him about this the other day when we were yeah. talking about this program. And, and how much um, we hated it. And yeah, I mean, the, you know, the cognitive dissonance of your local rivals beating the team that you are surprisingly challenging at the top of the first division. And Norwich dropped out of the title race about five or six weeks before the end of the season. Aston Villa, I think it was about three or four games. Yeah, they ran out of puff. Yeah, they just ran out of energy. But they were it was they won it in the end by I think it was ten points. But that was very flattering. For the first thirty four, thirty five games of the season it did not look like anybody was going to win that league title. I think the one thing points. that this documentary did actually capture with reasonable clarity from what I can remember was the febrile and exciting denouement where Manchester United had to beat Sheffield Wednesday at Old Trafford and did it with two late Steve Bruce headers. Mm. How close to the end of the season was that? I think it was about three or four games. Okay. That is an area of the documentary which I think is relatively faithful. The rest of it, I think, is in extremely bad faith because it it's telling a story, but it's not the story that I remember. It's not the story that anybody really remembers. 
Well, it's like it's it's, it's like... history. It's it's history being written by the winner, and the winner of the Premier League have always been Manchester United. Whether Manchester United win the Premier League or not, Manchester United are the winners of the Premier League era. Well, I mean, I I assume that the reason they kind of you know very generously gave five minutes over to Blackburn was because the 1995 episode will primarily be about Blackburn, I, I, yeah, ass- yeah. I assume. And and also, they had Alan Shearer. So, you know, you get to interview Alan Shearer. But yeah, but you're not telling the story of a league if you no. only feature two clubs. You know, Aston Villa, Norwich, whoever... Oh, no other club makes an appearance in any way other than as a team being beaten by Manchester United. And that is not the story of that season. It just isn't. I know I was there. Yeah, On the whatever it was of January 1993, I was literally there. It's a nonsense. If the, if the BBC wants to commission a documentary called Manchester United in the 1990s, and do a season by season on them, then great. And I will probably watch it. That's fine. You know, it's an interesting subject. Team that, um, um, yeah, absolutely. A team that hasn't won the league for twenty six years. Yeah. Oh, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Nineteen ninety, Man United was shit. To study, you know? yeah, study all the building blocks as they fit into place. Yeah. And then, that and would then, be how absolutely they just, fascinating, and how they just crush everything in front of them. But what we've got instead is this half-assed series of lies. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like I say, if that's what it was, if this was the nineteen ninety-two, ninety-three episode of that series, then I'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, that was decent, that was all right, you know. Probably should have shown a bit more of some other teams to give it some context, but you know. Yeah. But as a representation of the Premier League's first season, it simply isn't a a representation of it. Yeah. You are better off. And I don't know if the nineteen ninety two. I I went looking and couldn't find it. They had every other year. You are better off if you're looking for a, a season review of nineties seasons. Just go to YouTube and search for Match of the 90s. Yeah. They're good. Presented by Mark and Lard, I believe. I think so, yeah. In yeah. Full, full 90s integration. Yeah. So, you know, watch that. Listeners' questions. We've had three listeners' questions this week, which is kind of a bumper crop. The first the first question I thought was a very, very excellent one um, from Matt Evans. Uh-huh. What's the best kind of animal to have run onto the pitch and which Premier League footballer would be best equipped to wrangle a pitch-invading horse? Well, first of all, I'm a big fan of the Goodison Park cat. Okay, that, yeah. That was an excellent cat. I'm a big fan of cats on the field. I think dogs on the field are a little bit passe. Cats, much more interesting. I don't know. Have you ever seen a goose on the pitch? There must have been a goose on the pitch. 
Um, I don't that could have got so. really interesting because geese are mean. I mean, my vote goes with the marabou stalk <laughs> that got onto the pitch yes. during a World Cup match between yes. Kenya and Morocco in 2005. That's a dangerous thing to have on the pitch because those things will fuck you up. I actually tweeted that in on the 10th of July 2016. There you go. Five years ago. Oh, and there's an owl on the crossbar. People started putting these in the replies. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, let's not forget the, uh, was it a night jar perched in the gold net that England were attacking against Algeria at the 2010 World Cup was a, a particular favourite. I like yeah. the, the the fact that the, this tired bird had decided to settle down in the one place it knew it wasn't going to be disturbed that day. <laughs> Yeah. As soon as he saw Peter Crouch come on, he went, right, I know exactly where I need to be. Yeah, crossbar of that girl. No. Uh, in terms of, I mean, I think Marabou Stork probably probably does win. In terms of Premier League footballer who's best placed to deal with a rank, wrangling a pitch-invading horse, got to be Adama Traore, hasn't it? Harry Maguire? Well, Harry Maguire... I mean, Harry actually, Maguire looks like a farmhand. He does, actually, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? And I, I don't say that in any... I don't mean that in a pejorative sense in any way. No, I like farmers. I'm from London. I, I, you know, I, I, they I do some fine the, work. I lived yeah. in the countryside. I know what it's about. I like a good um, farm. He, the, but yeah, Harry Maguire just... He's a unit, isn't he? You know, well, he is just, a unit. Uh, but, I mean, that's why I picked Adama Traore. Because the, the man is hewn from granite. Well, Adama Traore has got the advantage of being able to run very quickly. He's got, well, yeah, he's got pace as he's well. He's got a lot of true. pace. But then, has he got the brains to outwit a marabou stalk? But then, has Harry Maguire got the brains to outwit a <laughs> I, I mean, Maribu it's difficult. It's, it's difficult. Other, actually, saying that out loud pushes me towards Adama Traore. There's only one way to find out, really, and that's to release different animals onto the fields of play in the Premier League. Yeah, but have Wolves already played Man United this season? I don't think so. That's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a meeting, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want to have to wait till the new year. Well, I mean, where yeah, but where are you going to get a horse or a marabou stork or I don't know, maybe maybe they'll draw each other in the marabou cup. Hey. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. No. Right. No, <laughs> I no, I came up with that on the spur of the moment and I didn't even need to get my whiteboard out and explain it. Yeah. Um, Fuck's sake. Qu- second question is uh, from Jerry McDermott. Uh, he mm-hmm. asks whether or not it's about time that we had another TV programme about the English Premiership on British TV. I think this could be a slightly sardonic question. Yeah. Well, from, I tell from you, Jerry. Right, okay. uh, but, I'll tell you what we need. Okay. What we really need. Yeah. Is an actual proper, proper values, properly researched, no attempt at dumbing down. We're not idiots. Documentary series. Make it a 26 parter. Yeah. That goes from way back when. To the Middle Ages, you know, you can pack all that into one episode. Yeah. 
Because there's not going to be a lot of talking heads in that one. Through the Eaton Wall game. Yeah. And the... And um, the... The, Bur- the, birth of passing at Lansing College. Yeah, and uh, and bring and to the codification of the game, and go yeah. into that level of detail and tell the story of football in this country. You know? Yeah, that'll be good. Do do that. Stop faffing about with all this stuff because every time they get involved, they get it wrong. That it's like that. Um, thing that was on net was it on netflix about the origins of the game mm. and, uh, oh my god i watched the first episode of that and i was just i was dying at the wrongness of so much of it it was awful it's like why can't why don't we deserve a proper long high quality high production values documentary about the history of football in this country. Final question. Darren Leafley yes. asks, this is an excellent question. Should performance debilitating drugs be permitted in sport? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. um, without any question. And with and, yes. uh, and and show a bit of imagination with it. You know, you you could have you could have say three players per team. All right, are, are going to be drugged. They're the ones who were chosen to be drugged. And this is pick... feeling a little bit like a U.S. Army experiment yeah. with LSD at this yeah, stage, right? So, for, but then the opposing team, yeah, chooses. Oh, okay. Which yeah. drug the player gets? But each one has to be a different drug. Yeah, each one a different so drug, and they're not allowed to tell them. There's a selection trestle table of drugs. And you're allowed yeah. to pick three and three opponents to take them. Yeah, A, B or C. You'd have to nice. do it about, what, an hour before kickoff? <laughs> well, <laughs> depends on the drug, but yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll be kicking off, won't it? It'll be fantastic. I, I would... so, yeah, so, yes, definitely. I mean, the thing is that I'd actually, actually... The answer to that is yes, if Darren is asking the question that I think he might be asking, which is performance enhancing drugs. I understand why they ban players for for doing it. I do yeah. not understand why they give bands of similar lengths or whatever to people who are taking drugs which have not been performance enhancing in any way. Well, yeah, there wasn't there that uh, there was that a sprinter just before the Olympics who was chucked out of the team. Uh, I think they were a hundred meter sprinter. They were chucked out of the team for testing positive for marijuana. Oh yeah, yeah. Under yeah. no circumstances is taking marijuana going to make you faster at running a hundred meters. If if anything, you'll lose interest halfway and just look at the back of your hand. I don't know. I mean, unless you're 110 metres from the corner shop and it's 5 to 11. <laughs> yeah, 100, 100 metres from a roast chicken. Yeah, I'm going uh, <laughs> to need a packet of Jaffa Cakes and a bottle of chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 do, I do agree that there is something kind of absurd about the fact that people who are 
taking drugs recreationally are punished in football frequently to the same extent that pe- as people who are taking drugs deliberately to try to seek an advantage yeah. over others. Yeah, it's madness. Yeah, it's like being a wastrel is the same as being a cheat. Yeah. And, and I, I, I find that a very strange attitude for the game to take. I mean, I fully agree that you know, the players should be sanctioned in some way. It's, you know, they obviously have to take, you know, they, they, they can't actually make drugs compulsory in games. You know, they have to be seen to be anti-drugs. And so, you know, I don't think anybody would object too much if, if someone got a fine for it, say. Or maybe a one-match ban for it, you know. But... It's such a strange flex to make. Well, I, I mean, it depends, obviously, on the drug. But I think if, if somebody on, on the opposition team turns up and they're completely scagged up to the eyeballs, <laughs> I think it would be enough punishment just to force them to play that player. <laughs> well, they're just not allowed to substitute him. No, yeah, they're, they're going to be absolutely faffle used, But the thing they? is, it doesn't work like that, does it? You don't get, you don't get players playing... You know, really, All really high up. or drunk. If a player turned up in that sort of condition, the manager simply wouldn't pick them. You know. Yeah, well, it not under has... my rules. Yeah, well, <laughs> he would have not. to pick them. Under your rules, all the players would be on skag all the time. But that's well, because you are a drug dealer. A drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> This leaves us with one order of business remaining. Match of the week. Match of the week. And for match of the week this week, because we hated Fever Pitch, the history of the Premier League, so much, uh, I have chosen a match from the before times, if you can even imagine yeah, such yeah, a thing. Matches were played on in swamps surrounded by lush vegetation. Yeah, if you could and dinosaurs. It. Yeah, ruminants. Um, I chose Liverpool versus Manchester United from Sunday, the twenty sixth of April, nineteen ninety two. It is the day that any Leeds United fan will remember fondly as the last time they won the league, which is now called the Premier League. But at that time was just called the league, the first division. The first division. Yeah. Now, a, a few interesting points to be made about the, the, this game, such as it was. I believe it was live on ITV. It was. Yes, I do. I do remember watching this game. I just couldn't. What I couldn't remember was yeah. whether the game before it had been live or not. 
Well, yeah, because at lunchtime, Sheffield United and Leeds had played out a hell's a popping encounter, which featured an own goal by both sides uh, and a, a 3 2 away win for Leeds United. All of which meant that Manchester United needed to beat Liverpool. Which, you know, wasn't necessarily as difficult as that sounds back then because this was a Graham Souness and uh, Liverpool team who were slightly on the wane, it's safe to say. Well, I mean, at at the time it wasn't obvious. Um, I've been thinking a bit about this recently. They were a little bit weakened because obviously they had the FA Cup final coming up. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing, you see. You've got to get a little bit of context in place here. Liverpool had last won the league in 1990, but it was yeah. only 1992. Imagine that. Um, they were in the FA Cup final that season. I don't think in 1992 that people had realised the full Graham Soonersness of Graham Soonus. No, that's probably true. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the Liverpool team... It's uh, it's not the great Liverpool team of the late 80s, but there are a number of players who remain. It's one of Mike Hooper's 51 games for Liverpool, okay. which uh, marks it out as being a little bit unusual. Uh, Michael mm. Thomas is in for Liverpool, which, I mean, that, that was the clear sign. That was the day, I think. I wrote down the day. 16th of December, 1991. Michael Thomas signed from Arsenal for Liverpool. Um, and that, that, that's the, the white flag going up at Anfield, that one. I said, oh, he was an England player. He was, but, I mean, Michael Thomas. This is Michael Thomas. Michael, he, it's he, up for grabs now, yeah, Thomas. Well, you know, yeah, he'd won the league. <laughs> he certainly had. At that ground. <laughs> Like a couple of years earlier, I don't know, it seemed like a fairly sensible transfer at the time. Just because it didn't work out doesn't, you know, doesn't mean it didn't make sense at the time. I remember this game. I remember this game. Uh, The thing that I couldn't remember was whether it was live on TV or not. Uh, Sorry, was whether the Leeds-Sheffield United game had been live on TV. If it wasn't, then they showed highlights of it beforehand. Because I certainly yeah. knew going into the the Liverpool Man United match that if Liverpool won, then Leeds would win the league, and Liverpool would have been the team that would have been prevented United from winning it, and that those Extra. two things, those two things combined, yeah. were hilarious. Well, of course, there was a third thing at play, which is that I remember going into the match, all the talk was about how Ian Rush had never scored against Manchester United. Oh, yeah, yeah. And after 12 minutes, who pops up but old sniffer Rush Mm -hmm. to dink the ball over the oncoming Peter Schmeichel. This this Manchester United team's a good team. They're not far off essentially being the team that won the first Premier League. Yeah, it was an interesting game. Because, as the commentary pointed out, Liverpool had won the award for the best pitch in the division. Their groundsman had won a little trophy, and it was actually quite a good pitch for England at this time. Mm -hmm. 
But Man United didn't really have an awful lot. I mean, it was just bibbling and bobbling, and <laughs> it was it was a bit like watching a school game. Nobody seemed to be able to get the ball under control because they were so eager to get it forward. But you know, apart from Paul Lintz who hit the post, mm-hmm. that was about it, really. Liverpool should have won by more, and Barry Venison missed an absolute sitter. Yeah, at that point. When we were all having a good old laugh about Manchester United losing out again to Leeds because of Liverpool. Yeah. I don't know whether or not if you told me what I now know to have happened in the intervening period was going to happen that I would have believed you. Oh, no, 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 no. 13 league titles, two European Cups, yada, yada, yada. And Liverpool not not winning the league until a global pandemic had had left us all. Yeah. I mean, stranger than fiction. The one thing that that broadcast, because it was like really edited down, wasn't it? There wasn't, you know, it wasn't very long. No. Was that ITV was showing the game live. This was actually, you know, the last free-to-air top division game in this country until the pandemic. Yeah, that anyone will ever see. For 28 years. Yeah. All it took, all it took was an apocalyptic outbreak of uh, airborne respiratory disease. Yeah. But we finally got free-to-air football back in this country. Yeah. Incredible scenes, yeah. But well, yeah, one of the things that they that, that that they did that afternoon was they also had a reporter round one of the Leeds players' houses. Yeah, I think it was Lee Chapman. I think you're right. I think it was Lee Chapman. I think they, they, it, they decamped to Lee. It Chapman's wasn't like house. a massive party or anything. It was just three of them sitting on a sofa watching. I think yeah. I think that they had a barbecue and some you know a bag of cans, and they were just watching yeah. the match. And then, as it became apparent that it looked like they were going to win, I think more and more people turned up with more and more cans. Yeah. Which is the way it should be done. Exactly, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I actually enjoyed that. I, you know, I, it was a bit, it was all a bit, I remember I remember it vaguely. Uh, I remember it as being a bit kind of stilted at first and all a bit, you know, uncomfortable. <laughs> and fair enough. <laughs> you know, yeah, this well, is like what are you doing in my massive, house? Such a massive moment in my life. And. You're, you're still recording after yeah. you've normally stopped. I've gone. I've had a shower. I've gone home, and now yeah. Gabriel Clark is watching <laughs> me watching the football. Yeah, and, and, and somebody keeps saying to me, "Just act, just act natural." <laughs> like, like it's that easy. Like, like oh, God! Do you know what? I hadn't thought of that. Cheers. Yeah. And then halfway through the second half, with Manchester United labouring to to mm-hmm. find an equalising goal, yeah, Eric Cantona turns up with his shirt unbuttoned to the waist and a bottle of Chateauneuf de Pape. Happier days, happy. They days. were, they were a very. It was a very un- uncomplicated time. I think that you can probably find that footage uh, in that. Uh, there's a, a documentary called So. Do you want to win? 
which is about that Leeds United triumph. Um, yeah. It might still be available for free on Amazon Prime, and if it isn't, then it will be available for not free on Amazon Prime, which would be very much in keeping with um, what we've been talking about today. <laughs> yeah. Subscribe, you bastard. Subscribe. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right. You can have all the football you like as long as you pay us. Amazon Prime having the brass balls <laughs> to try and get you to rent stuff on Prime when you're already paying for Prime. Yeah, well. Oh, oh, my, my 21st century entitlement is, is rising. Ban the 3pm blackout. It's a form of slavery. It is. It's, well, I think, worse How than I... slavery. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> and just, war. <laughs> just wait. Just wait until my... Um, my Coming up on Football 365 next week, my article on how I got cancelled over that podcast. Well, <laughs> looking we're all looking to forward to that. Yeah. Oh, well. Are we done? I think we're all done. Excellent, excellent. Well, you can find him on Twitter at 2-0-0%-podcast. Is that right? 2 double zero percent pod No oh. need for the cast. God damn it, I thought so I remembered it right for once. I've saved them all four keystrokes there. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Me at T-W-H-O-H-T. Yes. There you go. Social social media, so please like, share, retweet. <laughs> Probably for the best if they don't. If I'm honest, I'm, at this so at this stage, yeah. proceeding. Yeah, well, it depends on what type of proceedings you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, court uh, proceedings. Yeah, <laughs> right. Anyway, we're done for this week. We'll be back again same time next week. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs> Everybody wants her, everybody loves her, everybody wants her.